Would you turn with me in your Bibles tonight to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 tonight. 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at actually a majority of this chapter, 1 John chapter 2, focusing on some key words uh, here in this chapter in a sermon that I've titled, Having Consistency in Life. Having Consistency in Life. 1 John chapter 2. Consistency is something that we talk about having, but something that doesn't always get put into practice. Consistency is being true to what you believe regardless of the circumstances. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of us act differently depending on who you're around? Do you remember probably doing this more as a kid? where you'd be talking about something with your friends or with your siblings, and then your parent walks into a room, and immediately you change the conversation or stop talking entirely about whatever it was that you're talking about, and you act as if you were talking about something completely different. I'm sure you can remember a time when you did this. Maybe it didn't happen all that long ago. But this generally happens when we're doing something or talking about something that we know we shouldn't be. And we don't want certain people around us finding out or hearing what we're saying. We have a certain reputation that we have to maintain. So we act differently around certain people and we stop the act around others. I think we do this a lot as Christians, especially when we're outside these walls, when we're out in the world. We're often a completely different person in church as opposed to anywhere else. And this is done for several reasons. Sometimes we don't want people outside of church looking at us different, treating us weird. We just want to fit in without any sort of issues, without any sort of weird looks. Sometimes we want to be treated differently. So we'll act a certain way so that others might think more highly of us. And whatever the reason, believers need to be more consistent in life. And it starts at the beginning of each day. Each day when we wake up, we need to decide who we're going to be that day. Are we going to be the child of God that we're claiming to be, or are we going to be the compromising coward who would rather be inconsistent with what we believe? There's already plenty of inconsistency in the world today, so as Christians, we shouldn't be adding to this. Let's not be a different person on Sunday than we are Monday through Saturday. We need consistency all across the board. We need consistency in our families. We need consistency in our churches. We need consistency in our marriages. As parents, our children need to see this consistency. All areas of our lives need consistency or else we're going to feel like we're riding this endless roller coaster with highs and lows and all sorts of inconsistency. We need to be more like the man that David speaks of in Psalm 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, where he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in season. His life also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." The one who loves God's word, the one who dwells in God's word, will demonstrate that needed consistency in his life. As much as we want consistency, we come to depend upon it from others as well. When you have to go to the hospital, which unfortunately we had to be there this week, 
You'd prefer to, if it's yourself or a loved one, to be treated by a doctor who is consistent. I don't want a doctor, I don't want a surgeon operating on me whose results are all over the place. I want someone whose results are consistent and consistently good, if we're being honest. If I board an airplane, I want the pilot in the cockpit to be consistent. I don't want a pilot who frequently has trouble flying and landing the airplane. We deal with people every day who we expect to not only be consistent in what they're doing, but also confident in what they're doing. And this is what the psalmist was talking about there in Psalm 1, especially verse number 3, where the man is like, he says, a tree planted by the rivers of water. He is standing firm. He is standing confident because his roots are deep, being nourished by the rivers of water, and he's not shaky in the least. This is the confidence and the consistency that we have in Christ when we're centered on God and when we are centered and focused on his word. It doesn't matter if the world around you seems to be crumbling, things seem to be falling apart. When you're standing on the solid rock, nothing causes you to be worried. Nothing allows your faith to waver. Though others may be running around frantically trying to figure out what their next move is going to be, you, as the consistent and confident Christian, can be calm and at peace standing upon Christ. At times we get discouraged thinking that God's word requires too much of us. That we're doing our best, but it doesn't seem to be enough. At times we feel like we have to be too many different people in order to get by in life. Depending on our context, we, act, we, have to, we at least feel this way, where we have to act a certain way and behave differently around certain people. And we do this because we think that this is the only way we can survive as a Christian in this crazy world. We have to be someone different beyond the walls of this church when we're out among the people of the world because in order for us to survive as Christians, we need to look like everyone else out there. But the truth is that God has not called us to look like the world. God has not called us to live that way. He's called us to a life of consistency, and it's not consistent with the ways of the world. It's consistent with the Word of God. He's called us to this life for our good. Listen to what we read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 28. Nearly the end of the chapter, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Our lives should be shaped by the certainty that the Lord is returning someday to take us home. I want you to notice first what consistency looks like. Look at this verse again, 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What consistency looks like. The key word in this verse, and this is the word that we're going to focus on throughout the entirety of 1 John chapter 2, is the word abide. Abide. If you forget everything that we've talked about this, this evening, remember that word abide, specifically as it speaks about abiding in Christ. This is the key word here. Abide, it literally means to continue, to stay in a relationship with, to remain, to literally it means to be consistent. Therefore, when we're instructed here to abide, it says, now, and now little children, abide in him. We're instructed to be consistent 
in Christ, to be consistent in his word, to be consistent in our relationship with him. And we believe God's truth. We obey the leading of the Holy Spirit and we strive to live in such a way that is pleasing to God. Where most Christians struggle with this is that they think the Christian life is a sprint more so than a marathon. We go through seasons where we're confident, where we are consistent, but we're unable to sustain that effort, that consistency, because we're looking at the Christian life more as a sprint than an actual marathon, which it is. And so when we see here in 1 John 2, 28, where it says, and now little children abide in him, that idea is consistency in him. Remain in him, not just for a short period of time, but throughout the entirety of your life. We need to learn to train ourselves for the marathon rather than the sprint. Otherwise, we will see no sustainability. Think about your own Christian life. I'm sure that there have been seasons in your life where you can think of where the Lord was speaking to you so clearly, where the message from God was so evident. It was almost as if God literally leaned down from heaven and spoke directly to you. Where your walk with the Lord seemed to be interrupted, where your obedience to him was just at an all-time high, where there was nothing between your soul and the Savior. It was at that time you really knew what it meant to abide in Christ. But then the season passed. And the interruptions and the distractions that you were able to drown out began to draw your focus away from Christ. It's very much an up and down life that we live. One in which we lack the consistency we really need. If you were to map out on a, a piece of paper what your spiritual life should look like. You would want that line between you and God to be as direct as possible. You don't want that line to have all sorts of spikes, all sorts of drops. You want it to be as straight, as consistent, as perfect as it can be. No interruptions, no disruptions. We know we need consistency. We just struggle to know how to get there. A while ago, I came across a prayer that someone once prayed. Dear Lord, so far today, I am doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, complained, or cursed. I have yet to charge a penny on my credit card. Now, as I prepare to rise from bed this morning, I'll need your help more than ever. Now, that's kind of silly, but honestly, that's almost how we live our lives, right? We feel, we feel like once we get up, we have no control and things are just going to be completely chaotic. And I think if we're honest, this is probably how many of us have felt at times, where we're intimidated at the thought of even starting something. We're a little over now a month into this new year, and I'm sure there were some resolutions which we have made which you were certain were going to be kept, and, and maybe you're still keeping those reservations. And maybe you haven't, though. Uh, for some of us, we have different reservations. Maybe you had a reservation, you had a plan to get healthier over this new year. Maybe you had a plan to eat better over this new year. Maybe you had a plan to be more active. Maybe you had a plan to wake up early every single morning and have a quiet time of devotion with the Lord. Even some of the best laid plans fall apart. What happens, though, 
when your plans fall apart. You usually decide to set the bar a little lower, right? Okay, obviously this was too much of an ask. I know myself, so I'm going to lower the expectations. And I tell my wife, when it comes to me, the lower the better. The less disappointment. Lower the expectations. We, this is what we do, right? When we, when we set a goal for ourselves and we don't meet it, we decide, okay, instead of trying to be better, instead of trying to sacrifice more, be more devoted, we lower that bar so that we can meet that without having to sacrifice a whole lot on our part. Basically, what ends up happening is that we, we settle for the life of sporadic progress rather than the life of consistency. When we don't know what consistency looks like, we struggle to do things the right way. Throughout this chapter, 1 John chapter 2, we get several examples of what consistency looks like. And I want you to notice first, as we, as we look at still point number one, what consistency looks like. Let's talk about just a couple of things here. First of all, we're told that we need to follow Christ's example. Look at what it says in verse number 6. 1 John 2 verse 6. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Now the context here is speaking of Christ. So it's very clearly telling us, if you're going to claim to abide in Christ, you need to actually follow his example. Everything must begin with us following Christ's example. He is the model, the benchmark, the measuring stick, the standard of consistency. So before you think that you can go ahead and lower the bar, go ahead and raise it up as high as it goes. Because Christ did not set a, a very low bar as far as what life we ought to live. He set the highest bar. This can be incredibly intimidating, though. I mean, if, if we're intimidated at some of the lofty resolutions that we've made, which many of us have probably abandoned them three weeks, four weeks, maybe five weeks now into the new year. If we're intimidated by those, following Christ's example, which we're told to do here in 1 John 2 verse 6, is, must feel like trying to climb Mount Everest. As out of reach as this may seem. The only way to follow Christ's example is to humbly allow the Holy Spirit to begin his work of transforming you into the image of Christ. I heard of a man who every morning he got up and aside from doing regular devotions, every morning he rehearsed the Romans road. He was so adamant about reaching souls for Christ that he wanted to be ready every single day for any opportunity that might present itself for him to go out to witness. And so even though it didn't always end up that every day he's witnessing, every day he woke up with the plan to witness should God open the opportunity and he re rehearsed that Romans road every single morning. And I thought, what a wonderful idea. If you're true and passionate about soul winning, about reaching souls for Christ, what better thing to do than to prep every single morning to go into witness to someone? You never know when the Lord is going to bring someone to you, when the Lord is going to put someone in your path who is going to need to hear the gospel. And what better thing to, than to have it ready, like in your holster, as soon as you're ready to go, God brings and it's just boom, it's right there because you rehearsed it that very morning. And if you're doing that every single morning, there's not a single day that you won't be ready to be a witness for Christ. Witnessing became natural to this person because it eventually just became part of him. And the gospel message came through in nearly every conversation because it was just ingrained here and here to be a witness and to be 
an instrument of God's grace, if we want to have a consistent Christian walk, we need to begin with a consistent focus on Christ and how he approached life. It's not enough to rely on a sermon or two or three each week. You need to have your own personal relationship with Christ and one that involves time on your own, getting to know him personally through his word. Secondly, so first, follow Christ's example. Secondly, have a love for fellow believers. Have a love for fellow believers. Look at what it says down in verse number 10. 1 John 2, verse 10. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. We'll sometimes sing the hymn, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. Do we love fellow believers? That's not to say that we're always going to see eye to eye, but do we love one another? Listen to what we read one chapter later in 1 John 3, verse 23. It says, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. The very next chapter, in 1 John chapter 4, and verses 7 and 8, the Bible also says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Certainly God is more than just love. But he has clearly instructed believers to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean that we are to turn a blind eye when they have sinned, but that we still treat them in love when we need to admonish them, when we need to forbear them. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4 and verse number 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? What God is telling us is that we are genuinely, sincerely supposed to love the fellow believers that we know. Don't just play some religious games, but demonstrate your love to them. Love, in many ways, is a choice, and it needs to be evidenced. Most of us may not struggle with hate, but hate is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is apathy. And this is something that Christians really struggle with. Apathy is not caring at all about the people around you. Knowing about needs, knowing about problems, and having no desire to help, having no desire to support in any capacity. That's the opposite of love. Make an effort to truly demonstrate love for your fellow believers. Follow Christ's example. Love fellow believers. Third, build confidence. Build confidence. Look at verse number 14. 1 John 2, 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. I found that the seasons of life where I personally have been closest to God are directly linked to my faithfulness and my devotion to God's word, to feeding on God's word. You can read the Bible without truly feasting on God's word. And many Christians find themselves reading God's word but still having their souls starving because their eyes touch every single word. They've read the entire chapter, but they have no clue what they just read. They did it because they were trying to get through 
They did it because they were running out short on time, but they wanted to make sure that they read their chapter for today or did their devotions for today. So they scrambled through that to check it off a list and they couldn't tell you one thing about the chapter they just read. We're not feasting on God's word. We're not feeding our souls the way that we should when it's more of an obligation. God's not concerned with how much of the Bible you're reading in one sitting. He hasn't said, in order for your devotions to be true and genuine, you must read 30 chapters each day. No. He's not concerned about how much you're reading. He's not looking to be something that we check off on a list. He's looking to be what our souls are feasting on every single day. There are times where I get into my devotions and I literally read one verse. But that one verse, I'll meditate on it. That one verse, I'll dive into it. And the Lord will show me more in one verse than I could have thought I was getting an entire hour of studying an entire book. He's not going to shortchange you because you're only reading one verse as opposed to an entire chapter or an entire book. There are times when I, I read through an entire chapter and my mind is on something completely different. And I have to go back and reread it and then reread it and then reread it because the TV's on in the background, the radio's on, the kids are jumping around, you know, my mind is on what I have to do next. Whatever it may be, there is a distraction there that is drawing my attention elsewhere, even though my eyes are focused on each of the words on the page. The more you're growing in the knowledge of God through feasting on his word, the more you're going to be building confidence. We should be striving to be believers who are so confident in God's word that we never shy away from an opportunity to present his gospel to people. The reason why many Christians are so hesitant about sharing the gospel is because they don't know how to properly articulate everything they believe. The simple answer is to get us familiar with the content, get us familiar with what you believe. Let it become such a natural part of you that it just organically rolls off your tongue in your conversations. When you read throughout the New Testament, specifically much of the writings of the Apostle Paul, you'll notice how often he quotes the Old Testament. The reason he did this is because he was hiding God's word in his heart. It was a part of him. It came out naturally in his conversation as the Holy Spirit was leading him. These words came out because it was a part of who he was. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, every response he made was a direct quote from scripture. The key to building confidence in your life is to remain in God's word, abide in it, feast off of it. There was a recent study which examined the different responses to personal stress between those who claim to have faith in God and those who were claiming to be atheists. And it was discovered that those who claimed to have faith in God were overwhelmingly calmer in the face of uncertainty compared to those who claimed to be atheists. Those who claimed to have faith in God had 33% less brain response to anxiety and had 45% less anxiety than those who were claiming to be atheists. Those who claimed to have faith in God also proved to be more effective and productive in decision-making. Now that's just a worldly study. But there's a lot of truth in that knowing more of God builds confidence and helps bring consistency in your personal life. Fourth, be committed. Be committed. Look down at verse number 17. And the world passeth away, 
and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In James 1.22, the Bible tells us, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A lot of us know what we need to do. But we struggle to demonstrate true and lasting commitment. There may be someone that comes to our minds when we think about who is the most committed person we know. You probably all have someone that may come to your mind as far as who is the most committed Christian in your life or the most committed Christian that you've ever come across in life. There's probably someone different that we all think about. Perhaps it is maybe the one that led you to the Lord. Maybe it's a great author that you love to read. Maybe it's a great preacher that you love listening to. Maybe it's a godly parent or a relative or a friend who sets a great example and who has been very influential to you personally. The best example of commitment we have is seen in the life of Christ. In Philippians 2 and verses 7 and 8, it tells us of Christ's commitment. It says of him, it says, But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Does it get any more committed than that? He came down to earth to be everything that we needed him to be. And then some. He committed himself to what the Father's will was, even though from the moment he stepped foot on solid ground on earth, the shadow of the cross weighed heavy upon him and grew heavier and heavier and heavier the longer he lived because he went closer and closer to that cross as he was about to suffer, the greatest suffering any person would ever have to suffer. And he was committed to all of that. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus stated in John 5, verse 30, he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Jesus was the greatest example of commitment, the greatest example of obedience we will ever see as he came to accomplish God the Father's will. Knowing God's will can be hard for Christians to figure out. And I guarantee that you'll never figure out what God's will has for you if you are not committed to reading God's word. If you're not committed to abiding in his word, the will of God is revealed to you when you start committing yourself to learn God's word and let it fill your heart, let it fill your innermost being. God's word will give your life the direction. It'll give your life the guidance that you've been looking for, but it only comes if you're committed to abide in Christ. You're not just gonna open up your Bible once and say, Lord, give me all the answers I need. You need to be committed. You need to abide in him. Abiding in him is not a once a week visit. Abiding in him is dwelling in him, living in him from day to day, moment by moment. Be committed. And fifth, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Look at verse number 24. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning, If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Most of us have been trained up in the Word of God. Don't abandon that. The only way you're going to abide in Christ is if you abide in God's Word. And the idea of abiding is mentioned three times in this one verse. It's mentioned 
by the word abide, let therefore let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning, he says, shall remain. That idea of remain is still the same idea of abide. Shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue. Again, the same idea of abiding in the Son and in the Father. When we first came to Christ, we hopefully were taught the basics. I have to be honest with you. I think most of us need a refresher course on Christianity 101, on following Christ 101. I think we tend to skip over the basics too quickly, thinking that everyone already knows that. When in reality, there are so many who are clueless to the basics of God and the basics of his word. What typically happens is that we'll start with the basics, but then we'll very quickly get those out of the way and move on to the deeper and more weightier matters of God's word and God and just neglect those basics altogether. Abiding in Christ and abiding in his word is about soaking up every bit of it, not just the things that we are interested in. If we have certain hobby horses in scripture, it's abiding in all of it and soaking it all. The basics are a necessary reminder for us to get carried away with something that God never intended on us doing. Our vision can, be some, can become so clouded, can be very narrow-minded at times because we have determined God wants us to do something or God wants us to go somewhere when in reality, he may be wanting us to be right exactly where we are and doing right exactly what we're doing. I've done this before where I was certain that God was going to move us entirely, just Moving us on. But what he was actually trying to do is tell me to stay put where I was. I was thinking about all the good I was going to be able to do for God in a new environment. But he eventually reminded me that I needed to be all that for him right where I was. I thought my situation was broke and my way of fixing it was move on. And it seemed that God was orchestrating things a certain way. But he was actually showing me that it wasn't actually broke. And if I desired to remain in his will, then I was to stay put and do what I needed to do for him right where I was. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we've looked at five examples of what consistency looks like. Second, notice our motivation for being consistent. Our motivation for being consistent. Look back at verse number 28 here in 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We don't think about Christ's coming nearly enough. Uh, the way that we treat this is that, well, if it didn't happen yesterday, then it's most likely not going to happen today or tomorrow. That's kind of the way that we treat things. There are probably a hundred different thoughts that we have in our minds before we ever think about Christ's return. Reading this verse does get us thinking about how we want to be found when the Lord does return. Do we want to be ashamed when he returns? Do we want to be found worried, discouraged, overwhelmed, fearful, anxious, stressed, dishonest, and so on? Shouldn't we desire to be found ready when Christ returns? In other words, we should always be ready so that we don't have to get ready. Keep your house in order so that you don't have to go and scramble to get it in order. Keep your relationships from breaking apart so that you don't have to go back and fix them. Stay on the path of consistency so you don't have to worry about having to find your way back. 
I know plenty of people who think that they'll have time to get ready when Christ returns. But the truth is that when that time comes, getting ready will not be an option. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day to get ready. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And even if tomorrow were guaranteed, why wait until tomorrow to meet your Savior? Don't gamble with your eternity thinking that you'll have ample time to get ready in the future. Come to Him today. Notice next how consistency is measured. Point number three, how consistency is measured. Again, in verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. When the Lord returns, we will either be confident or we will be ashamed. If you're not saved, you are going to be ashamed. And if you're saved, hopefully you'll be confident. Believers will then appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which is not a judgment for sin, because sin has been completely dealt with at the cross. But the judgment seat of Christ is where every single believer will stand before Christ and give an account for all the works we have done here for him. In John 15, verse number 4, Jesus stated, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Bearing fruit for Christ only happens when we're abiding in Christ. The more you're abiding in him, the more you will be confident of God's power to work in your life. Much of this confidence comes through daily and regular time that we spend in prayer. In John 15, verse 7, again, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. When you're abiding in Christ, it keeps you in the center of God's will to where you're asking for things that are going to keep you on that right path. God brings confidence, God brings assurance in our lives through prayer. And when you seek God, when you, when you see God work in prayer, it changes the way that you pray. It changes the way that you're approaching God. It changes the way that you view God. And it, quite honestly, it encourages you to go back to him consistently in prayer. I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before Christ at the judgment seat and feel ashamed for how little service and work I did for him here on earth. I want to have full confidence. I want to have full assurance that I gave him my all. The reality is, though, that there will be plenty of believers who will be ashamed as they're standing before Christ at that judgment seat. Now remember, they don't lose their salvation. They just don't get rewarded. They don't get to stand in front of their Savior and say, I received your precious gift of grace. And I shared it with such joy to so many people around me. And here's the fruit of that labor. Here's that work that I've done in your name to elevate your name. Those who have nothing, those who are ashamed, they'll know they were foolish with their time and with their effort. They'll feel shame for their lack of service. They'll still remain saved, but they'll have nothing to show for it. I don't want to stand empty-handed before the one who gave himself to die upon the cross for my sin. The Bible does tell us that God will then wipe away all tears from our eyes. But I want to make sure that there are no tears of shame that are ever shed from my eyes. That is why we should strive to always be ready. When we wake up each morning, we should be asking the Lord to help us remain focused on Him today. How does this happen? What does focusing on Christ look like? It starts with opening your Bible every single day. 
Give yourself time each day where you're only focused on God and his word. Put down the phone, turn off the TV, just read your Bible. Just focus on him. Then make it a point to spend time in prayer. And pray regularly, pray often. Be specific with what you're praying for. And again, remove all the distractions before you start praying. There will be days where it'll be harder to keep on track. There will be mornings where you wake up feeling miserable. Maybe you got no sleep. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. Whatever it is, the devil will use everything to try and keep you from spending that time that you need with God. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. When you can make those difficult decisions and power through those feelings of being too tired and just feeling miserable, that is what will separate you from having consistency in your life. Instead of feeling like you're riding a roller coaster every day. And then, after you've read, after you've prayed, get out and serve. Get out and serve. Read, pray, serve. Three things to go home with. Stick to this formula every single day. And you'll be sure to stand before Christ one day with confidence because you would have walked with Christ and with the consistency that your life so desperately needs. Would you bow with me in prayer at this time? Lord, we know that as easy as it is to talk about what we should be doing and how our lives should look, Lord, it's much different when we actually try and put these things into practice. But I pray, Lord, that the lessons that we've learned here from 1 John chapter 2 about abiding in you, Lord, I pray that those would really strike a chord within us. Help us, Lord, to have that desire to abide in you. Lord, may it be something that we're doing not just when we feel it's necessary, when we feel like we're backed against the wall. I pray, Lord, that we'd be coming to you every single day, seeking to live for you, to have fellowship with you, and to serve you with gladness and joy in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we close our time here this, this evening, we're going to sing together before